All right, we've been following uh, for the past three hours. Really, this happened just as we were coming to air tonight, uh, events unfolding in Ukraine. Um, first, Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, announcing to the country uh, that he would begin military operations in Ukraine uh, to, quote unquote, demilitarize the country, uh, quote, interpreted by everybody in the West as an invasion. It was then followed by uh, by the sounds, at least, or the sounds and sights of uh, of attacks, at least of explosions in various uh, Ukrainian cities. Now the Russian military is saying that it has targeted air bases and other military assets and not populated areas. Of course, uh, also a little bit earlier, we uh, learned that the country is under uh, uh, martial law, that the president, Vladimir Zelensky, has declared martial law and confirmed that military strikes have been reported across the country and urged citizens in Ukraine to stay home if you can and not panic. Well, to look into this a little bit more, Christian Luprecht is a professor at the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University. He joins me now. Thanks so much for, uh, for, for popping on on short notice. What a night. What a night. Yeah, good evening, Ben. I think it's what we had all feared. Uh, we had all hoped for the best, but expected the worst. And I think the worst is coming to pass here. Yeah, explain that, because I think we had, we weren't quite sure what Vladimir Putin might attempt to do when he was threatening to move into Ukraine. Uh, we thought maybe he would just stick to the areas that the Russian uh, back rebels already held, but clearly that's not the case. Yeah, I mean, the pattern would have been for him to do that, because that's been the pattern for him, for instance, in Georgia, uh, with Abkhazia and South Ossetia, the two occupied regions, the pattern in Moldova, where the Russians have long effectively occupied Transnistria. Um, and you might also argue the, pa the pattern in Azerbaijan and Armenia, where so-called, in, in quotation marks, peacekeepers, Russian peacekeepers showed up. But uh, I think after that very angry speech on Monday night, it was clear that that was not going to be enough to satisfy Putin. I mean, this was uh, um, a very comprehensive case, effectively, for the delegitimization and the invasion of Ukraine. Not a case that has uh, is any sound basis in history. I mean, effectively, Putin was rewriting history. He basically suggested you know, there was a hundred years of wrongs here that go back to Vladimir Lenin. And clearly he sees this as part of his legacy project, uh, that he is going to write what he believes to be a historical wrong. Um, he lays out the case to the Russians. Some of this case is just complete paranoia. Uh, the Ukrainians possibly developing nuclear weapons, for instance, stationing them there. Uh, his obsession with how many minutes it would take a cruise missile from Ukraine to uh, to hit Moscow, but it clearly suggests that he is almost obsessively um, thinking about uh, about Ukraine. And I think the, the the challenge here now is how will this actually play out? Because he seems to have a lot of confidence that he's got this one in the pocket. But I'm not quite so sure. Now, the Ukrainians have made a lot of mistakes. Vladimir Zelensky has squandered all the political capital he has domestically and internationally in the last two years. Uh, the Ukrainian military has not reformed at the pace that it could and should have. Um, but the Russians, too, have problems. The Russian military has problems of morale. They have problems of maintenance. They have problems of modernization. They have a few units that are really good. They have a lot of units that are sort of pretty mediocre. Um, so we'll see whether this is the cakewalk that I think Putin sort of thinks he has, he, he, he has or whether this is going to get really painful and really bloody for the Russians. And I think the 
the Ukrainian foreign minister, in my view, used the wrong words and narrative when he said Ukraine is going to win. It's not actually about Ukraine winning. Ukraine just has to make sure it doesn't lose. Uh, and if this is the case, I mean, so it's hard to even begin to understand the or begin to describe the geopolitical uh, impact of what's just happened in the last uh, several hours. Uh, but in the short term, um, what happens? What can the West do now? What can NATO do now to try to ensure that this isn't a quick victory for Vladimir Putin? To the contrary, NATO can and will do absolutely nothing for two okay. reasons. Uh, President Biden already laid out the point very clearly in his infamous interview before the Super Bowl, where he said that if there is... So the reason that he's withdrawing all American troops from Ukraine, and I think when he meant when he said all, he meant all. This is why he withdrew the embassy staff, why he withdrew the trainers, uh, military advisors, special operations forces, because in his words, if there is contact between American troops and Russian troops, that risks World War III. And Putin tonight in his speech laid out as much, or his morning, um, that uh, he made it very clear that if there is Western intervention in Ukraine, there will be a response like the world has never seen. And I think that means Putin is prepared to launch tactical or nuclear or strategic nuclear weapons. And so I think what applies to American troops, by extension, applies to all NATO member country troops. So as unfortunate as it is, um, I think the challenge for NATO and for NATO members is they're going to have to stand and watch and see whether the FIU Oh, we're just using losing you a bit there, Christian. Our efforts in recent in recent days. Um, a quick last question for you before before we go. Um, so, what is the response then from the West? What can the West do to punish or to make this hurt, if anything, to make uh, and and is Vladimir Putin impervious to it at this point? I, know, I think he knows what's coming. Um, I mean, the initial sanctions here were pretty mild. So I think what we're going to see now is, I mean, these were marginal banks, for instance, on which the sanctions are imposed. We're going to see Spare, a spare Bank and Fauci Bay, for instance, sanctioned. Um, but I think the real investment by the West here will be medium term. That is to say, while in principle, I think the invasion is popular with Russians because they more or less by Putin's narrative, the war is not. And so if the war comes not just with a hefty bill, both in terms of blood and treasure, but also in terms of uh, even more hefty consequences. I mean, Russians want the same thing that everybody else wants. They want a better standard of life. They want a better healthcare system. They want better education. Um, and so what Russians have seen is the exact opposite. By a regime that has not delivered for them, and delivers only on the idiosyncrasies of its kleptocratic elites and, and Putin's sort of magnomania. And so the interesting piece here will be is it is average Russians that will suffer, but can the West effectively undermine Putin's legitimacy with its own population ahead of the 2023 um, presidential elections sufficiently 
um, that uh, that might uh, cause real political challenges for Putin himself. But even then, that's a bit of a gambit for the West because there's always a risk of ultranationalists trying to take over from Putin if they feel that Putin uh, is mortally wounded. So there really aren't any very good options. Uh, we're in a real dilemma philosophically in the sense that there only are bad options on the table. Christian Luprecht, um, that's a nice way to end it. Uh, this has been a night that has changed many things uh, in the world and in Europe. And, of course, in Europe this morning, uh, in Kiev, they're waking up to a very different reality this morning. Christian Luprecht, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you. Have a good evening.